in the seventh and final week of this series, Jesus According to Jesus. If you haven't been with us, if you've missed any of this series, you can go back and watch it on our YouTube channel. But what we've said is this, that Jesus is declaring he is God, but also in his grace, he's describing what God is like. We're looking at these seven I am statements in the gospel of John where he, he declares he is God. I am harkens back to Exodus chapter three when God the father says, I am who I am. I exist self-sufficient, self-existing, independent of everything else. And Jesus wants to make sure everybody else knew in the gospels, he is the I am. He's not God because he performed miracles. He's not God because the masses followed him. He is God because he is God. And so he, he goes through and says that, but he also doesn't just declare he's God, he describes what God is like. So he says God's like the bread of life, the light of the world, like the good shepherd. And he talks about what that looks like. And today he's gonna say this, the seventh and final I am statement, he's gonna say, I am the vine. And so we're gonna break down what that means and why he would use that word picture specifically. But, but here's a question that it ultimately addresses. It addresses a question we all have of how do we grow in life? How do we change in life? Is change even possible? Like with all the sin in my life, with all the distractions around my life and the difficulty surrounding me, is change possible? How do I grow? Some of you walk in this morning and there's sins that you've been wrestling with for years. Some of you walk in this morning, God's not your everything, he's not your delight. And you're thinking, I want him to be, but I don't really know what that looks like. We're gonna address those questions this morning as we look at this truth, I am the vine. So grab a Bible, pull it open with me, pull it up on your phone, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 15. This is some of Jesus' last words with his disciples before he goes to the cross. Many of you know the last words are the most significant ones. So we want to lean in and listen to what Jesus says. John 15, starting in verse 1, it says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. By this, my Father, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love." If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. If you're taking notes, here's our first question we're gonna ask. Why a vine? Why a vine? Multiple times, Jesus talks about vines. He talks about branches. Why is he using that word picture? Remember what we've said throughout this whole series is that Jesus gives illustrations. He's a masterful preacher. And even though they may seem distracting at first, like vines, branches, they're not distracting, they're unveiling. 
So the reality is we have to do some work of peeling back the layers of the onion to see what is he talking about with the vine? Well, the first thing you need to know is he's using imagery as he talks with his disciples that they would have been very familiar with in first century. He's talking about the vine and they would have thought of immediately when Jesus said that, the people of Israel. You see, in the Old Testament, oftentimes the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, the people of God were called the vine but not always in a positive light. One of those cases is in Jeremiah 2.21. It says, I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? God calls the people of Israel the vine. But he says, I planted you like a choice vine, a healthy vine, a fruitful vine, a vine that's meant to help other people from other nations, other backgrounds, see me clearly and also follow me. But instead, you have been corrupted as that vine by sin, by disobedience. And so other people are not seeing God clearly as they ought. They're not following God more because of the people of Israel. As the disciples are hearing Jesus say, I am the true vine. They would have thought, okay, Jesus, you're saying you're what Israel could never be. You are perfect. That when people attach to you as the true vine, they do see God. They, they do follow God. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. The disciples would have known what that meant. But it's not just the people of Israel and that illustration and that connection. It was also just practically a grapevine. You see, in, first, in the first century in Israel, grapevines were everywhere. In fact, some commentaries will tell us that maybe Jesus was walking with his disciples next to grapevines. At the end of uh, chapter 14, he says, arise, let us go from here. And so maybe they're, they're walking from the upper room and they're by some grapevines. And he's like, hey, I'm the true vine. And he starts to explain this, this illustration because it's right next to them. Now, we don't have the luxury of walking through California next to some grapevines. I'm sorry. But we do have Google images, right? It's on the screen. And I think this is helpful for us. This is what Jesus would have been referring to, a grapevine. And I think it's helpful because many times when I read this, I didn't think of that. I thought of a vine going up a wall, a vine going up a tree. And, and that's what I think of primarily because of the secret garden. The book, the movie, look it up later, okay? But that's literally, I thought about the secret garden book cover when he says I'm the vine. That's not the kind of vine he's talking about. He's talking about this grapevine, which if you can tell, the vine is actually the trunk that the branches are growing off of, that the grapes are growing off of. The vine is the source of strength for these delicious, juicy grapes to grow. Don't they look delicious? Some of you are thinking right now, all the jam that you can make with these grapes. Some of you are thinking all the wine you can make with these grapes. I don't know what side of the aisle you're on. Right? But here's the reality that Jesus tells us and he gives us this word picture is in the vine, connected to the vine, you can bear fruit. You can have true power and real fruit. But if you're disconnected from the vine, you can't do anything. Somebody comes along, takes those grapes off, rips the branches off, throws them on the ground. They die, right? which circles us back to our original question. How do you grow in life? How do people change in life? What about that sin that you're still struggling with? What about that relationship in your life that isn't flourishing like you want it to? How do you grow? How do you change in life? 
I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you three things. If you're taking notes, here they are. Abiding, pruning, and obeying. Abiding, pruning, and obeying. We're just going to take a few moments to break these down. The first thing is abiding. If you look at the text, you see several times Jesus say, abide in me. He abides in us. That word abide literally means to remain, to stay, to move in, to take up residence. He's not talking about an Airbnb. He's not talking about a pop-up tent. He's talking about moving into the life of Jesus, hanging up pictures on the wall, getting rid of the cot, getting a king bed. He's talking about living, sleeping, abiding, remaining, staying with Jesus. And he tells us how to do that in primarily two ways. Look at verse 7. He says you do that through his word. His words abide in us. You spend time looking at the words of Jesus and the gospels, the word of God throughout all scripture. Think about the disciples. They've been walking with Jesus all this time. Jesus is about to die on a cross less than 24 hours from now. Remember last week we talked about they were troubled, they were anxious, they were afraid. And he says, hey, no, no, no. Remember all the words I've spoken to you. Remember all the the sermons I've given to the masses, but all the private moments that I've given you the very words of God. Abide in those. When it gets hard, when you get anxious, when you get fearful, abide in those. Spend time with those words. And we have the luxury of having 66 books, 40 plus authors written in three different languages. It's the words of God. And we get to abide in them. Listen to me. If you just pop in, Airbnb, pop-up, tent style, come into church and listen to the words of God for one hour out of 168 hours. That is not abiding. That's not remaining. That's not staying. That's not taking up residence in the words of Jesus. What he's talking about is daily, desperately going to the word of God and sitting up under his word and letting it saturate your mind and your heart. And everything you do. But it's not just through words, it's also through prayer. He says, ask whatever you wish. Other translations say, ask whatever you want in my name and I'll give it to you. Now this is the point in the sermon where I have to give you as a pastor the caveat, the disclaimer, to say, if you ask Jesus for a Tesla and you tag on the end, in the name of Jesus, that does not mean on Christmas morning a Tesla is going to show up in your driveway with a red bow on it. I've always wanted that, and just being honest in church today. Like the commercials just sell that so well. And some of us, this is what we do it, right? Name it and claim it. You ask whatever you want in Jesus' name. Just tag in the name of Jesus. A magic, magic potion. You'll get the Tesla. You'll get the spouse that you always wanted. Sorry to let you down, but that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is, hey, you abide in me. You move in with my words. You talk to me. You, you get saturated with my will in your life through my word. You will eventually start to ask me in prayer the things I want to give you. So that temptation that you're struggling with, that lust that won't leave you, that pride that has a stranglehold, it walks around everywhere you go. You have to let people know I'm the most important person in the room. That gossip, it just feels so good, Tim. I'm just an extroverted person. I just like to speak my mind. I just like to say what I think. And those sins that are plaguing you, the things that you're walking around with, 
as you abide with Jesus, as you see his truth, experience his grace, receive his words, you begin to pray, God, release me from this temptation. Take away this lust. Take away this pride, this gossip. Like, I don't want that anymore. And Jesus says, yes. Yes, I will do that for you. My, by the power of my spirit, I'm gonna equip you to resist that temptation and to follow me. And you start to pray prayers like that. Start to pray prayers like, God, I wanna lead my spouse sacrificially. I wanna, I wanna love her. I wanna come home and serve her. And Jesus says, yeah, I, I'm gonna give you that answer to that prayer as we abide in Jesus because he's the true vine and we get real life, real fruit when we're connected, attached to him. But there's also the reality as Jesus says he's the true vine, there's also the reality that there's some artificial vines. You see in verse six, he says really plainly that we can do nothing, verse five rather, we can do nothing apart from him. And we look at that and we think, well, Tim, you just brought up Tesla. I'm pretty sure Elon Musk, like he does a lot of things, but I don't think he abides with Jesus, his word, and through prayer. You see, what Jesus is saying is not that you can do nothing, period. He's saying you can do nothing of eternal value. So yeah, you can do a lot of things. You, you can connect to some artificial worldly vines that seem like they're going to bear fruit, that produce things that look like Fruit. It's like my kids yesterday, they built a gingerbread house. Too soon? No, not, not in 2021, people. It's never too soon, right? They built this gingerbread house. One of the key ingredients was fruit snacks. And let me just tell you, those fruit snacks, they look like fruit, don't they? They're shaped like grapes, like apples, like cherries, but they don't have one ounce of fruit in them. All they have is high fructose corn syrup. But they look like fruit. We have so many things like that in our lives. We attach ourselves to artificial vines of, of money, of marriage, of finances, of politics. It looks like it has some, it looks like fruit. He looks successful. I mean, he's always talking about the stocks. He's, he's day trading. He's, he's, he's living the dream. He's got rental properties. He's always talking about his kids and they're dominant at sports. <laughs> always talking about academics and just working harder and getting those A's and going to grad school. Always talking about the president he or she voted for. And it looks like fruit, but it doesn't last. You see, eventually, verse six, it's very sobering. That artificial fruit that's connected to the artificial vine it withers. It's like branches that are broken off that eventually end up in a fire. And as you read commentaries and scholars talk about this, some people will kind of try to massage that, excuse that a little bit and say, well, you know what? It's like being refined by fire. Well, last time I checked branches, they burned to ash in fire. Right? What he's talking about is if you do not connect, attach, abide, in the true vine, Jesus, you're like a branch who's broken off and eventually will burn up. And this is not just forever in hell, it's also in this life. Have you seen it? Now, I've seen it, not just as a pastor, but as a person. I've seen friends attach themselves to a substance, to a sex, 
to money, to family, to finances, to status, whatever the case may be. I've seen them not just do those things, not just pay attention to those things. I've seen them attach their very self-worth, significance, and identity to those things like a vine. And I've seen it not just burn them up, but burn their family up, burn people around them up. And Jesus and his grace and also his truth. It doesn't feel good to hear this, does it? But it's in his grace and his love and his truth that he wants to protect you from that pain. Amen? Jesus loves you, and so he wants you to connect, attach, abide to the true vine. That's him, and not to any other vine. Listen, marriage, money, your kids' sports, finances, the president you voted for, not bad things, horrible things to attach your life to. And so Jesus in his grace and truth, he wants to protect you from that. Hey, only abide in me. And here's the reality I know is that many of us, we don't even realize we have attached to the politics. Well, Tim, I just, I'm an avid voter. <laughs> I just, Republican, Democrat, ask the way Jesus would have voted that way. Right? Some of you are like, I mean, I just know I love stocks. It's just kind of a hobby of mine. Like, oh, Tim, I love sports. I check my feed every single hour. It's not, it's not a big deal. I don't listen to my kids. Instead, I'm checking the, the, the stats. But it's not that big a deal. It's not consuming my life. Tim, I, my spouse loves me. It's like it's a good thing. But I mean, if she doesn't, like it totally crushes me. But it's not an idol. See, John Calvin, the great theologian, will say, our hearts are like idol factories. We pump out idols. We find something every day, not just to do, participate in, something to attach our life to. Right? And it may produce fruit for a time, but eventually it withers fades, it burns up. And some of us this morning, if we're honest, we're, we're not even aware that you're actually attaching yourself to something that will burn you up and everybody around you. The best thing you could do this morning is to be honest about that. Repent and turn. Uh, my wife is an international student director at the school across the street, and she has students from across the world. Some of them speak great English. Some of them speak a little bit of English. And uh, we were actually chaperoning uh, their prom uh, a few weeks ago, which was fantastic. I saw all sorts of things at that prom. Um, and we were chaperoning it, and this one student she had is a Chinese student. Instead of dancing on the dance floor with another girl, he's over on the sidelines talking to my wife about marriage. <laughs> and I say talking like it was through a translation app. Like he was typing in what he wanted to say, and then it would read out what he wanted to say to my wife, and she would type in a response. And over and over, she talks about marriage. She's talking about love, true love, what love is from Jesus. Love, love, love. And finally, this student, really honestly, I appreciate his honesty, he typed out and she read, I don't want love, I just want money. And I just, I love his honesty. I don't want love, I just want money. And some of you, God's grace to you today would just to be honest in church and just to say, I don't always want God to be my everything. I want to attach to some other things. I want a successful marriage more than I want Jesus at times. I want what Jesus gives me more than I want to attach to him himself. I want the politics. I want America to be great again. That was, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. 
I really didn't mean to say that, to be honest. I, I want whatever it is that Biden's slogan is, just to be equal here. I want those things. I don't care what your political party is. You attach yourself to that. And sometimes you, if you're honest, I want that more than I want Jesus. And in the church of Jesus Christ, whatever that is, if it's your spouse who has become your savior, if it's money, if it's good things that have become God things, whatever it is, we need to in this moment say, I'm detaching and I'm attaching to Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen? That's what Jesus is calling us to. This is how you change. This is how you grow. The second thing, it's not just abiding, it's pruning. Pruning, look at verse two with me. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, when I first said that, I was a little confused and also frustrated. He says, hey, if you don't bear fruit, I'm taking you away. But if you do bear fruit, I'm going to cut you. (laughs) And I just thought, Jesus, is there an option C? I I don't want to be cut. That sounds painful. But Jesus quickly tells us why he prunes us, why he cuts us. Look at the verse. He says, so that you will bear more fruit. And listen, you know this. My in-laws are in town. They're actually in this service. Would you give them a clap for my in-laws? They live all the way in Texas. We don't get to do this very much. So, so glad that they are here this morning. Just want to honor them. And as soon as they came to my house on Wednesday, we have these flowers on our front porch. And as soon as they showed up at my house, my father-in-law rightly said, hey, Tim, you need to prune those flowers. I mean, they weren't dying, but it also wasn't flourishing. And he said, yeah, you got to cut back the old flowers so the new flowers can grow. We just know this to be true. But not just with flowers, also with life. Many of you know how we started Phoenix Bible Church. There was some pruning seven years ago. There was some pruning, there was some pain, there was some cutting. The, the short story is my wife and I, we showed up in Phoenix with a very large church to start one of their churches and lead one of those churches. And in three months, that was all taken away. The main church had some problems. I'm not gonna go into it today. I'm not gonna say something like I said earlier that I didn't mean to say. Um, but just let me tell you, it was a season of pruning and pain. And we had moved here, no friends and family, no relational equity, purely on the call of God that this is what we were supposed to do, to see lives changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three months, all of it was taken away. And it was painful. Like seven years later, that pain is still inside of me. Like when I think about it, when people remind me of it, it was painful. I was this man who's supposed to be leading my family, following the call of God, and we show up here, all the stability is taken away. All of what appears to be real fruit that we hope to bear is cut away, right? But let me just tell you, that season of pruning and pain has brought more purpose in my life than anything else in my life, right? Just for one, you're here today, (laughs) You're in this room because of that season of pruning. Do you realize that? Like I'm yelling at you, asking you to look at the grace and truth of Jesus, attach yourself to his vine, grow in your faith, heal your marriage, all of these sorts of things. Because of that season of pruning, God had a purpose, amen? You're here. Lives have been changed. People have been baptized. Marriages have been healed. 
Because of that season of pruning, there was purpose. But not just like as a church. For me personally, some of my closest friends in the world are in this room. And I don't mean like Facebook friends. I mean foxhole friends. I'm looking at some of their faces right now. There's a few people, just a few. (laughs) They were here at the beginning who are here seven years later. And there's nothing, those people, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. There's nothing they wouldn't do for me. And that would not be possible if it weren't for the pruning. Because we don't just share preferences as friends. We don't just share personalities as friends. No, we share something greater. It's called pain. And that pain bonded us in ways I don't know if it would have happened. And I have some of the greatest friendships in my life. Because God has a purpose in the pruning. But it's not just friendships. I have faith. I have an emboldened faith because of that season of pruning. That, that in that season, some of you have heard this story before, so you've heard me tell this embarrassing story multiple times. Just for your help. I'm your pastor. I love you. Um, in that season, there's a significant moment where I was laid out on the floor in the fetal position. And I was just asking God, why did you bring us here to take away this church, to remove my job and security? I have two kids, by the way, one on the way. My wife just got pregnant. It's a real story. And God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I don't have insurance. This doesn't seem like a good plan. Let me just tell you, seven years later, there's still obstacles. For me as a pastor, in your lives, in my life, for us as a growing church, the obstacles have not gone away. I now, though, see them as opportunities. I'm not, by God's grace, I am not in the fetal position anymore. No, I'm rolling up my sleeves. When pain comes, I think, where's the purpose? Let's go. I wouldn't be like that if it weren't for the pruning. Now, listen to me. What if it wasn't just looking at the pruning in the past and having that kind of perspective? What if it was looking at the pruning in the present? What if the difficulty in your relationship right now, in your circumstances, because of your job in 2021, because of your anxiety, what if you looked at your current circumstances, not your past, and thought, okay, Jesus, you're trying to shape me. Ow, that that hurts, you cut me but you're you're trying to grow me. I wonder, roll up your sleeves. I wonder what kind of purpose you're gonna bring through this pain. I wonder what kind of opportunity you're gonna bring through this obstacle. What if you saw your current trial, even the sin, the pride, the lust, the gossip, the greed that God keeps trying to take away from you and you keep saying, no, 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 Jesus, that's my fruit. I want it, it's juicy, it's delicious. Give it back to me. The lust, I need it. The pride, I need it. The gossip, I need it. And what if in that pain you saw, oh wait, God's trying to prune me. He has a purpose. He wants to take away the sin and replace it with his righteousness. What if you saw that in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your sin, that he's trying to take away from you? What if you prayed like this, hey God, take this affliction away, but also teach me through it. Do you see how you would grow? Do you see how you would change? God prunes you. God in his grace and his truth, he wants you to know here's the purpose in the midst of your pain. It's pruning. There's going to be more fruit. That's how we grow. That's how we change the last thing. It's not just abiding. It's not just pruning. It's obeying. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. 
See, we often pit abiding and obeying against one another. Faithfulness and fruitfulness against one another. Jesus says, no, 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 those are two pedals on the same bike. You abide in my love as you keep my commandments. You keep my commandments and you abide in my love. Faithfulness and fruitfulness go together. So you need to look at this passage and see, hey, as many times as Jesus talks about abiding, he also talks about bearing fruit. Six times, in fact, bearing fruit, bearing much fruit. He doubles down. That abiding and obeying, that faithfulness and fruitfulness, they should go together. That that's the way it works. As we abide in Jesus, we sit in his house, we take up residence with him, we listen to his words, we pray for things that are in his will. He answers those things. As you abide in Jesus, you start to act like Jesus. You start to do things that Jesus would do. You show people grace, but you also give them truth. Right, You love people, but you also speak the truth in that love. You don't just wax eloquence and affirm people in every sort of way. And, and meanwhile, they have sin that they're dying from and that's burning everybody up around them. No, you speak the truth, but you're not a jerk to them. You don't condemn them. No, you speak the truth and you wrap it in love. You start to humbly serve. As you abide, you start to act like Jesus. You start to humbly serve other people around you. You start to boldly proclaim, just like Jesus. Because as you abide in Jesus, you start to act like Jesus. You start to love other people. Listen, we, we live, every other week, I could say this, we live in a polarized world, right? Loving other people is supernaturally obeying the commands of God. Amen? Not just because I said it, verse 12. <laughs> Jesus says that. A big part of the way you obey my commandments is you love one another. You think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's not an isolation. We think of obeying as like, I'm gonna do these things, I'm gonna get up earlier, I'm gonna, no, it's with other people. Listen, you can't make wine from one grape. You need a lot of grapes, right? To keep with this illustration, you need one another abiding with Jesus leads to communing with his people. It doesn't happen in isolation. Friends, if you're online at home today and it's because of COVID, I respect that. But if you are always by yourself and you are isolated and you're not communing with the people of God around the word of God, you're not truly abiding and then acting like Jesus. That's a big part of it. So how, how do we grow? And it's abiding, it's pruning, and it's obeying. It's all of these things together as we look at Jesus, the true vine. Now listen, I know that obedience doesn't have the best reputation. Right? I, I grew up in church. I was a church kid. Obedience gave me a little spasm in my neck. Right? And maybe for some of you it does that. Right? For some of you, you just think, hey, obedience is that thing when I get it right, I get puffed up, I get prideful, I get the gold star, and when I get it wrong, I hide. I stopped coming to church. When I committed that sin, I just, I disconnect from all people in Jesus. And that's how we view obedience. Some of you right now, you walk in here this morning with not ethereal sin, difficulty in your life, real life, sin, lust, pride, gossip, greed. It's taking you out on the inside. And on the outside, you got a smile on it and you got your Sunday best on, but on the inside, there's some deep shame and regret. 
And if that's you this morning and that's how you relate to obedience and bearing much fruit, you need to listen to these few verses. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse three, he says, you're already clean, not because of your works, but because of his words. You're clean. You think, no, there's, Tim, there's some dirty things, shame, regret. No, Jesus says, you're, you place your faith in Jesus, you're already clean. In a passage that he talks about bearing fruit six times, he says, now here's how you're clean though. It's by my words, not your works. Amen? Isn't that good news today? He says in verse 11, this is also your joy may be full. Obedience should lead to more joy. Some of y'all should be smiling right now. This is what he wants for you. He wants your joy, not your misery. Not you're swinging on a pendulum from righteousness to shame and righteousness to shame every day of your life. Jesus says, I want your joy. No, that's not good enough. I want your joy to be full, abundant. That's what he wants for you. In verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. I just love that Jesus includes all this in this passage about obedience, about abiding and obeying. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Do you know how the Father loved Jesus? We've talked about this before. Mark chapter one, the baptism of Jesus. God the Father looks down upon Jesus and says, hey, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased with. In Mark chapter one, he says that. Before Jesus ever preached to the masses, before Jesus healed any disease, performed any miracle, God the Father loves the Son like this. You're my Son. I'm well pleased with you. You're my beloved Son. Before you ever do anything, because of who I am, I love you like this. And Jesus says something insane. Hey, as the Father has loved me like this, Now I love you like this. Does that resonate in your heart this morning? Does that change the way you view obedience and bearing much fruit? I hope so. I hope it blows you away that as a Christian, a follower of Christ who produces fruit like Christ, you are working from approval, not for approval. Amen? You're abiding in Jesus. He abides in you and the outworking of that. He loves you based on nothing you've done. You're clean in Jesus. And then you obey. And then you change. And then you bear much fruit. You see, how do we unlock change in life? How do we unlock the growth that God wants us to have in life? We get this truth. And we don't just get it and recite it and say amen to it. We abide in it. We move in. We put up pictures on the wall in this truth. And every day when artificial vines try to compete for your identity, you're embedded, you're abiding in the truth that God loves you. You work from approval, not for approval. He loves you, not because of anything you've done. He loves you despite your sin, but because of his sinless son, he loves you. And that abiding, you start to act different. You start to grow. We're going to end today, we're going to end practicing abiding by taking communion. You see, communion is communing with God, abiding with God. Jesus, less than 24 hours, he's going to die upon the cross. 
His body is going to be broken for you. His blood is going to be spilled out for you to show you how much he loves you, how much he wants you to be attached to his vine and no other vine. How much he wants your marriage to change and and wants your life to change and wants your sin to be forgiven. But how much, most of all, he wants you. He wants you to be his. And so as we take communion, we're going to take the bread and we're going to take the juice and we're going to remind ourselves to abide in that truth. To live in the truth that Jesus Christ paid it all for you. So you could abide in him, so you could be pruned by him, so you could obey him, so your life can change for eternity. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these men and women. I thank you that, uh, God, we can this morning honestly just look at our lives and assess, and this is a perfect time to do it as we take communion. Are we attaching ourselves to other vines instead of you? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us, that we wouldn't just go through the motions, grab some crackers and juice and just be along with our day. But God, you would help us to stop and assess who are we connected to? Who are we attaching our lives to? And anything else, anyone else other than you, God, we would repent and we would turn and we would attach to you and experience your love afresh and anew this morning. Help us to do that as we take communion. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.